0: This morning, uh, we are back in Philippians, so grab your Bible. Here's where we've been. We started out looking at the book of Philippians, not just to look at the text of Philippians, but as we are going through the book of Philippians, we've been talking about how we are to approach Scripture on our own. So if we're to jump into Scripture, say Colossians or Ezra, wherever we might jump into Scripture on our own, in our own quiet time, in our own study, or our own reading... How could we do that? And we've just been trying to give you, along the way, through Philippians, a a few uh, really just handles on how you might approach Scripture yourself, all right? Here's how we started. The way we've looked at Philippians has been sort of the way you should look at your own Scripture. We started broad, okay? We started with a broad scope look. We looked at some of the background information. We went to Acts, and and we found out who the Philippians were, When did Paul go there? Why did he go there? What what did he do there? What happened to him there? Uh, Where did he go after that, etc.? What was his relationship with the people? And we looked at some of that preliminary background information, and then we examined the text. But we examined the text, first of all, on sort of a broad scale. And we took, really, one chapter at a time. And we didn't look at any real specifics. We just looked at the overall broad themes, and we followed Christ throughout chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now, here's where we are. We're narrowing our focus a bit, and starting last week, we're starting to look at some more specific details in the passages in Philippians, and we're starting to draw out a little more and just settle our hearts a little bit more into the passage. And that's what you do when you read your Bible on your own, is you start broad, and then you you look a little closer, and then finally, you just start meditating on individual pieces. You ask the Holy Spirit to, to open your eyes to help you to see where there might be uh, places in the scripture that your heart just needs to settle in on. So last week we did just that. We, we settled our hearts on this question of what made the Philippian church so dear to the heart of Paul? What made the Philippian church so uh, loved by the Apostle Paul? And we, and we just asked that question. We just asked that question. Part of doing this portion of our examination of scripture, whether it's from here or whether it's at home in your own quiet time, part of this, a big part of it is learning how to ask the right questions. And the best way to do that, I've found, is just to ask a whole bunch of questions and eventually you'll trip up on a good one. And with the Holy Spirit's help, you'll settle in on that question and he won't let you get away from it. And you'll end up meditating. You'll just you'll, you'll set your heart and your mind on on a detail, uh, maybe a situation, maybe a person in the passage and questions will just start to come via the Holy Spirit, and you'll just you'll be stuck there. You'll be stuck there. And so this week we're, we're going to find ourselves stuck on another question, another another question. Here's the question I asked it a few times while we were going through uh, chapters one through four on a broad scale. Uh, I alluded to the fact that I, I think <laughs> uh, Paul, if we were to be honest in our hearts, was a little crazy. I mean, he was he wasn't normal, right? I mean, we look at the Apostle Paul and his life was pretty outright abandoned for Christ. And so my question this morning, that where I want to settle our hearts this morning, uh, is just on what is, it, what is it that made Paul that way? As somewhere inside of us as believers, those of us who have the Holy Spirit residing in us, there should be an echo in our hearts that say, I, I want Christ to be as much as Paul made him of his life. Let me take you through. Go ahead and flip back to Philippians chapter one. Let me just briefly run us through some of these places where we get the idea that Paul's just off his rocker. He's not normal. And you follow along with me because I want you to maybe to note some of these in your in your uh, copy of Philippians there in chapter one, verse 12. You remember what he said after saying that he is once again in jail and remember that he started out his relationship with the Philippians by getting thrown into jail, beaten, scourged, and, uh, you know, uh, and eventually thrown out of town. Uh, now he finds himself back in jail and he's writing to the Philippians where he started in jail. And so, uh, but he says something here in verse 12. He said, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances and his circumstances here in context are a bunch of bad stuff. Okay, keep that in mind. This is a bunch of bad stuff. My circumstances have what? It really brought me down. I'm really discouraged. I'm really, not, I'm really not handling it well. I really need your prayers. No, that's uh, it's not what he said. It's not what he said. What he said is, and this is amazing, this is what should maybe spark the question, what, what's up with Paul? He says, all this stuff, really, you know what? It's turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That, that strikes me as odd. I hope it does you. I, I don't know that my heart could be could be that spiritually tuned. If I were going through the things that Paul went through, jump over to verse twenty. In verse twenty, he's referring to his imprisonment here, and he's uh, he's uh, telling the Philippians that uh, he is taking courage even in being put in jail. And in verse nineteen, he says. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And, and when we first look at that, we think, well, his deliverance, maybe he's, he's saying that it will turn out for his deliverance from jail. But the next verse clarifies what, he, what his heart really desires deliverance from. Look what he says in verse 20. He says that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, and here's his here's this hope, here's his prayer, with all boldness... Christ will, even now, and that's a reference to the hard times, the painful times, the bad stuff, as always, just like the good times, here's my prayer, that He will be exalted in my very body on a practical, physical level. He goes on to say, whether by life or death, no matter what happens to my body, you know what my prayer is? You know what my prayer from deliverance is? That I wouldn't shame, that I wouldn't shame myself. In being so focused on my my person and even my physical body that it would be exalted over over the goal of the gospel in Christ, he says, you know, I give that up. He says, right after that, for me to live, as a matter of fact, is Christ, and it's just Christ, and to die is gain. That that struck me as odd that he's praying not for deliverance from prison, but he's praying for deliverance from his self, deliverance from. Being so focused on self that he says that uh, with all boldness, Christ would even now, as always, be exalted in my body. Come what may. Come what may. In verse 29, this struck me as odd. Chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For to you it has been granted. That word granted, it comes from the same word that grace does. It's a reference to a gracious gift that we've been given, okay? Now keep that in mind. Great, we get a gift. What is our gift, Paul? For to you it has been granted or gifted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, yes, amen, but also to suffer for his sake. Hold on, Paul. I don't know that I want a part of that. He goes on to say in verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, past tense, when you first encountered me in Philippi. And now you hear here to be in me because I'm still in jail for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> Yippee. Yippee. For the sake of Christ, I get to suffer for him. I don't know that we think that way, do we? I don't know that we do keep going chapter 2 verse 3 here's another one chapter 2 verse 3 he says this this is odd this is not normal it's it's unconventional one of the things i said as we were going through the the four chapters as we kind of went over some of these things every now and then i just say you know here once again paul flips conventional wisdom on its head conventional wisdom means what the norm would be paul was unconventional he wasn't common he wasn't normal this again is not a normal thing to say in our world Look at what it says, chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as what? More important than yourselves. Now, is this odd for our world? Is this abnormal for our world? You better believe it. You better believe it. Everything in our world is focused on self, my own self-improvement, my own self-elevation. And while we wouldn't necessarily you know, say it, uh, that we'll step on whoever to get there, ultimately that's the goal. I mean, when you get right down to it, it is a matter of survival of the fittest at that point. He went on, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. And, and here's, this is the norm. This is the conventional wisdom that we do what? We look out for self. We look out merely for our own personal interests," he said, "but also for the interests of others. Folks, that's not that's not the norm. Paul was unique in this way. It, something about his heart had been it had been had been shifted. Chapter two, verse twenty-six, or chapter two, verse twenty. He talks about his partners in crime. First Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says that Timothy, Timothy is strange as well. Look at how he finds Timothy strange. He says, For I have no one else like Timothy, and no one else of kindred spirit. In other words, he, this guy's a rare breed. You're not going to find many people like him. Here's why. Because he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, what's the inference? Most will not be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Whose welfare will they be genuinely concerned for? Their own. He says, This guy's rare. I've got no one else to send you like this for they all a reference to the norm, a reference to the conventional, a reference to what is common for they all seek after what their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That's odd. Chapter two, verse 26. Not only Timothy was strange, but he he thinks Epaphroditus was a little strange. I think Epaphroditus is strange. He's worth a longer look than we've given him uh, over the last few weeks. He says in verse 26 that Epaphroditus had come and he had ministered on behalf of the Philippians. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul to be a blessing to Paul, maybe to bring financial blessings, maybe to bring uh, necessities, etc., maybe just to bring uh, encouragement and support as well. And in that, in that uh, ministry that Epaphroditus had at some point, he, he fell ill. He became a co-worker with Paul. Paul, and he fell ill, Paul will say he fell deathly ill, as a matter of fact. And you would think when you fall deathly ill on the job, you know, you go for a workman's comp and you decide, you know what, i got to go home for a while, i gotta, I got to take my own stuff, i gotta, I got I to focus on myself. What was odd about this guy, look at what Paul says about him in verse uh, 26, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, even to the point of death. Do you catch that? Epaphroditus is longing for the Philippians because he heard that the Philippians heard he was sick. And they were tore up about it. And now Epaphroditus is tore up about the fact that they're tore up because he's sick and he doesn't even want them to worry. Even though I'm about to die, I don't want you to worry about me. That's just strange. That's not the norm. Jump to chapter 3, verse 8. When we get to chapter 3, Paul essentially gives a, a pedigree and a resume that dwarfs all others. But he concludes his resume or his pedigree. By saying that all of it was what? Worthless. Literally, verse eight, it was rubbish or feces. That's what it was worth to Paul. Everything that, humanly speaking, we would stack on the side of our accomplishments that we would list in our personal resume, Paul adds it all up and then he just knocks it all down. He knocks it all down. he says, it's just it's trash compared to knowing my Jesus. That's it's not normal, folks. Chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 4, he really uh, seems to be out of touch because he says... In verse 6, we ought not be anxious for what? Anything. Now, Paul, I can deal with the rest, but you're, you're definitely out of touch here. Be not anxious for anything but in everything. No conditions to these statements here. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And then he goes on to say, Trust that that God, that, that God that made a way for peace between us will provide a peace for us that we'll neither fully understand or be able to explain. Um, those of you who have experienced that, you, you know, it, it, you look odd in those circumstances. When you have every reason to say that, you know, but this one thing I need to be anxious over, and the whole world says you have every reason to be anxious over it, Uh, And you're not because you find yourself by prayer and supplication, thanking God, making your requests known to Him, and trusting in Him, the One that provided peace between you and Him, to bring peace for you, and to actually be peace with you. When that happens, and you really can't explain it, you can't explain that peace that passes all understanding. You know what? You get. You look odd. You look strange. You're not the norm. It's unconventional. More than that, he says this peace from God will actually guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do we need that? I mean, do we need that in our in our world today? This this sort of unexplainable peace that is able to guard us to that degree, our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, while all this other stuff is going crazy around us. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Paul and I'm saying, that's that's where I want to be. I'm looking around at the world, I'm saying, I, I've got to have a little bit of what a, Ever Paul has here chapter 4 verse 12 by the end of the chapter in verse 12 Paul exposes his secret of contentment we examine this a little closer so I won't spend more time on it chapter 4 verse 12 he says this I know how to get along with humble means I also know how to live in prosperity how many of us wish we could say that not many of us know how to deal with our prosperity when it comes frankly much less much less The struggles when they come. Much less the humble means. He says this. In any and every circumstance I've learned the secret. The secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. How many of us want want some of that? How many of us need to be more like Paul in this? He goes on the next verse. You've heard it many times. But here's the context of the verse. This is the secret for Paul. It's Jesus. He says I can do all things through what? Him. I can do it all. What does that mean? Does it mean, we've made that verse mean a lot of things, but let me tell you what it means in context. It means I can do all things, i.e., I can deal with the good, bad, and the ugly. And, and that's Paul, right? We watched him deal good, bad, and ugly and count it all joy. How is that? That's not normal. All right. Verse 20, I want to show you one more thing here. Uh, he wraps this up. We make much of Paul, right? I mean, we make much of Paul. He's, he's next to Christ. He's one of our greatest examples. Uh, he's sort of, in many ways, a father of our faith. We make much of Paul, but I want you to realize something. As much as we can make of Paul, Paul made very little of himself. In chapter 4, verse 20, instead of making anything of himself, instead of giving himself any sort of pat on the back, I want you to see where Paul ends up. All right. after giving up everything he's given up, after counting all as loss, and he gave up a lot. He gave up his career. He gave up his friends. He gave up his health. He gave up his, his five-year plan, his ten-year plan. He gave up his retirement plan. He gave it all up. Look at where he ends here. He didn't make much of himself. Paul makes much of God. Verse 20. He ends this way. Now to our God and Father. Inference, not me, not my great deeds, not my accomplishments. Now to our God and Father be the glory. How long? Forever. If that's not long enough, and ever. Amen? Amen. Um, let me ask you a question. At any point in your life, have people around you thought you were at least a little off? off kilter because your affections for Christ have caused you to make a decision that uh, doesn't seem normal. You tracking with me here? You know what I'm saying? Let me, let me ask this again. At any point in your life, have the people around you thought you were at least a little odd because of your affections for Jesus? Have they looked at your decisions? Have they looked at your career path? Have they looked at your choice of residence? Uh, have they looked at your uh, your philosophy on raising kids? Have they looked at the way you handle money? At any point in your life, ha- has anyone around you who knows you uh, well at all looked at you strangely? And what I'm saying here is I hope so. Because as we look at Paul, we, one of the things we, we do is we say, as you go through Philippians, you got to say, this guy was different. He wasn't normal. He wasn't conventional. He flips conventional wisdom on its head at times he seems all out just odd and crazy for the sake of Christ. A fool for Christ. I mean, are you, are you, is that ever pinned on you? That's a question worth meditating on. It's a question worth, as you go through Philippians, settling your heart on. Saying, do I have any, anything like the abandonment that Paul had in my life? Do I have anything like The abandonment that Paul had in my life. What did Paul know that we may not? What allowed him to live good, bad, and ugly with this type of complete abandonment? Um, We used to, when calling men and women to Christ, we used to call them to complete abandonment. Uh, We used to elevate the cross to such a degree. We used to make so much of Christ we used to increase Christ so much that we naturally decreased. We used to elevate him to such a degree that it only made sense that our life fell into the background. Sometime, and this is this is my philosophy here. Don't take this to the bank. I haven't talked to Barna about it or any, any statistician or anything, any historian. But this is just my, my observation. It seems to me that around 25 years ago uh, there was a shift. I remember when I was... Uh, Early on in church, before I was a believer, I remember. Uh, and you, again, you can't take my experience as, as rule here, but I think it's I think it's close. Okay, I think it. I think it's worth considering that pastors prior to 25 years ago, there was a there was a call that was general to complete abandonment. There was a there was a strange, abnormal unconventional, uncommon call from the pulpits to the people to come out from among them to take up your cross, give up everything because Christ is of such worth that he is worthy of us seeing everything else as, like Paul, it's just rubbish, it's nonsense, it's not worth clinging to. Um, around 25 years ago, it seems to me that, um, what happened is we started to feel or somewhere the idea came that, um, we didn't want to be strange. (laughs) We didn't want to be unconventional. We didn't want to be uncommon. We wanted the world to see us as normal, right? And and I, I get this. Okay. I, I get this. I think it came potentially from good, uh, from good motives, but what maybe happened was in our desire for the world to see us as normal, for the world to say, you know what, if they come to church, I don't want them to just think we're all, you know, crazies. And the pastors are saying, you know what, you need to get saved and, and move to Africa and be on mission for the rest of your life. Somewhere in the backwoods of, you know, a part of Africa that no one's ever heard of. That's what God wants for your life. And I think some people start sitting around saying, that just sounds kind of crazy. And we look, we look foolish to the world and it's just, it's just way out there and it's ridiculous, etc. And, and I kind of get that. But in, uh, in doing that, in, in trying to soften that call, we may have shot ourselves in the foot a little bit. Because what happened is we, we began to say to people, and I remember pastors saying this very thing. Listen, uh, coming to Christ doesn't mean that you're going to have to move to Africa. Quote, this is a quote. doesn't mean you're going to have to move to Africa and be a missionary for the rest of your life. And I get that. But you know what I've realized over time? We lost something when we started saying those things. What we said is it's okay just to be a Christian and live like everybody else. You're, you're, you know, be a teacher, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be whatever you want to be, and just add Jesus to your life. Now and now you're a teacher and you're and you just happen to be a Christian. When the fact is, now in Christ you're a Christian. You just happen to be a teacher. You're a Christian. You just happen to be a doctor what we started telling people is, just add Jesus to your life and we'll all look normal, but we have Jesus on the side and isn't that great and he's helped us out. And maybe, he, maybe you should consider letting Jesus come alongside you and help your life out as well. He's great. And he doesn't take over everything and I don't have to move to Africa and be a missionary for the rest of my life. I can do whatever I want. I just have Jesus added on. You see where I'm going with this? We lost, this, uh, we lost, we lost the heart of Paul. Who was willing to count everything as lost for the sake of knowing his Jesus. And in light of the Jesus that Paul knew, he gave it all up. He he was recklessly abandoned for the sake of the kingdom, willing to do some of these crazy things and say some of these crazy things that we see here in, in just Philippians, and we're not even looking at the rest of his letters. We got a new term out of this shift. I think we call it uh, nominal Christianity. Uh, certainly, there's always been nominal Christians since uh, the gospel message went out, but we put a label on it somewhere in this uh, in this transition, and we look now and we call people nominal Christians. And what we mean is, uh, these are the Christians who have, who have essentially just tagged Jesus onto their life, and he helps them out in the good, uh, helps them out in the bad times, and he's there in the good times. Uh, um, but just not really uh, in charge, not really in the center. He's kind of on the side. He's not really up front. He's, he's just kind of next to me. He's my buddy. He's my partner. He's my helper when I need him. Jesus said it this way in Luke 9, Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross daily. It's a picture of us dying to ourselves not keeping ourselves and adding Jesus to it. He says, you you got to go away. Take up your cross daily. Immediately after that, he he said this. He posed a question. He said, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet to lose his soul? You get the emphasis on perspective and, and on worth. Uh, for some of us, there's there's been no... Increase of Christ and decrease of us, it's me and Jesus, you know a little Jesus on the side, and I'm doing my thing and and that that's a problem. I'd like to call the church back to extreme radical, complete abandonment for the sake of the king. I'd like to call our church, nobody else is listening to me. I'd like to call our church to reconsider that type of mentality that, you know what maybe maybe. For the sake of the kingdom, you need to move to Africa in some crazy place that no one's ever heard of. And you need to be a missionary for the rest of your life. I just don't want that to be taken off the table. Do you see? And I don't know that, I don't know that this, the current philosophy allows for that. We're going to allow for that here. We're going to allow for that here. You may have to go because it's not, it's not your life with Jesus tagged onto it. You've been bought with a price. Your life is no longer your own. It's his. It's his to live through you. That was Paul, wasn't it? He gave up all, all things. He gave up all things. He knew Jesus, and he knew the full worth of Jesus, but not just that. He knew the big picture, didn't he? Paul knew the big picture. Uh, some of us sit around and wonder, you know, especially in our day and time, what in the world is going on? I don't think Paul... I don't think Paul wondered. I think he knew what in the world was going on. He, he, had a big, he had a big picture. His perspective was eternal. It was bigger than the temporal. He saw where things were going, not just where things were. I'm not sure Paul was really ever surprised about his circumstances. He had this, this bigger thing ahead of him that was ever before him that allowed him to deal with the now. Did you catch that? He had this this bigger thing ahead of him that was ever before him that allowed him to deal with the now. And by the now, we're referring to the painful times, the suffering times. That was Paul's now. For many of you, that's your now. Many of you have been and are dealing with the challenging nows. Uh, The economy has shaken the church perhaps to the same degree it has the rest of the world. And that's unfortunate. Okay? That's unfortunate. That's not the way it ought be. In much the same way that divorce should be much less frequent in the church, which it isn't, financial earthquakes should be much less frequent in the church. Unfortunately, many of us put ourselves in positions that cause our lives to be shaken, just as the world's lives have been shaken. Wouldn't it be wonderful... Wouldn't it be wonderful if God could hold the church up? If the church were able to rise up in the current economic situation as this, as this uh, great picture of stability. Because our hopes were never so fixed on the world that we fell victim to the material wooing of it. You get how that works? That our hopes were never so fixed on the things of this world that that we fell victim to the same thing that everybody else fell victim to. It's not our hope. It's not our joy. It's not our trust. It's not our everything. God is our everything. Surely that's how Paul got through. Surely that's how Paul got through. Those of us who are living our lives with a little Jesus on the side do okay in times of profit. Now follow me here. Those of us who live our lives with a little bit of Jesus on the side do okay in times of security, gain, peace, etc. But not so much in the painful times. Those who have given Christ all, who understand his death, that he bought the rights to our life with his death. Those who those who understand that, that Christ gets it all, those who have in their heart uh, expressed a desire to give Christ all, find that they tend to have their hope, their trust, their joy, their five-year plan, their 10-year plan, their career plan, their family plan, their financial plan, uh, their livelihood plan, all those things tied up in Jesus, not tied up in the market or in a bank account. Where's your life tied up? What I'm hoping for, what I'm praying, we gain... A bit more of, as we learn from Paul, is a bit more detachment from the world. We used to sing an old hymn. <clears throat> the words were this. I'm not going to sing it. That's not why it's clear in my throat. Don't worry. <laughs> you remember this? Remember these, these words? Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful, what? Face. And the things of, you know, Earth will grow strangely great great word will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace paul knew jesus was worth more paul knew that the big picture was was the one that gave correct perspective to his life good bad and ugly paul loved jesus he longed for his appearing and his life conformed to that very hope paul knew Jesus, he longed for his appearing and his life conformed to that hope, namely Jesus. All right, three things and I'll be done. Some here ought resolve to, as best we can, be a tad more detached from the world and its temporary joys. Giving our attention and therefore our lives more to eternal things. Okay? And I'll... I'll confess at this point for my family that we need, we need make improvements in this area. My family. Sometimes our priorities simply don't line up with our affections for Christ. Yeah. Can some of you agree with that in your heart. Sometimes our priorities simply just don't line up with the affections we have for our Jesus. You want a good way to judge that? Just look at where your money goes. Number two, some here ought, as we said last week, take another look at Jesus and determine what he's worth to you. Take another look at Jesus and determine what he's worth to you. Ask yourself, is his worth in proportion to his place in your life? Is his worth in correct proportion to his his occupancy in your life? It, it, do you have a big God? And he better have a big part of your life. Yeah. If he doesn't have all of you, then you're missing the true worth of Jesus. Next week, we'll celebrate together communion. One of the reasons we do this is because Jesus said to. He said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. We all need reminders. We all need to take another look often at not only life, but the death of Christ so that we we're reminded to be completely abandoned for his sake, for his glory. Number three, it's the last one. Some here know that deep down they've never, never ever given their all to Jesus to begin with. There isn't inside of you a battle waging daily to give God all. Now you've got to ask yourself this question. You gotta ask yourself and you gotta be willing to be honest with yourself to ask the hard questions. And this may be the hard question: Is there a battle going on inside of me, daily, to give, to give God more of me? I'll be honest: not many men live like Paul. Not many women live like Paul, right? I mean, we just don't. We don't see we don't see this level of abandonment enough in our lives. Some of us are moving towards it one day and one spiritual battle at a time and that's good some of us are moving towards it one day and one spiritual battle at a time and that that's good the more we learn of our savior the more the more he seems to have us isn't that right as the more we we learn even as we sing these songs as we're about to sing the more we hear about his goodness his grace his mercy any of his characteristics his holiness his grace It draws us towards Him and it conforms us to Him. And daily we fight battles in our lives to become more abandoned. But unfortunately, not all of us have those battles going on inside of us. And I'd say we have to ask the hard question. Is Christ in us? Is the Spirit in us helping us to confront where our lives aren't completely abandoned? Some of us simply don't know, simply don't know him. That battle's not raging. To know him is the first step. All right, so the rest of our hour, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. We're going to sing to our God. We're going to sing about our God. We're going to we're going to focus on him. We're going to meditate on him. Our goal is always to see Jesus more clearly so that our affections grow more true for him. To see him more clearly so that our affections, our affections grow more true towards him. Some need to take the first step towards Jesus. Some need to take another look. Some need to, as a family, reevaluate things and say, you know what? Does the proportion that God, uh, it, it, does the size of my God when I think about him match? proportion of my life that he has of course we're not all like paul we not. we don't all uh, we're not we're not at that place my prayers we get we get a bit closer this morning amen why don't you stand with us we're going to sing father we give you this time the rest of our hour to focusing on you and to meditating on your holiness your worth casting our cares upon you come what may Good, bad, and ugly. We want what Paul had. We don't want to live like everyone else with just a little Jesus on the side. We want you to have all of us completely. So, Lord, we sing these songs with full hearts. Might they be a reflection of what is deep inside. It may be, Lord, that some of us need just need just meditate on your goodness, meditate on your cross, meditate on your sacrifice. It may be that some of us need to uh, let go of the back of the pew, so to speak. It may be that some of us need to loosen our grip, put our pride and our flesh to the side that's telling us just to stay still and stay the same and don't change, don't take that step towards Christ. Some of us need to let go and take that step towards Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you be with us as we worship you and we tell you how much you are worth so that our lives might match it as we depart. Amen.
1: joy of man's desire. You are Father, Satisfier and we are stunned with wide-eyed wonder. You are God, you are God. hearts with love and faith. You fight for us. You make us brave. You are God. You are God. You walk with us. You lead us on. Faith, hope and love wakes up with dawn. You are God. You are God. Life flows from God. It flows from God. If you're weak, if you're hurting, life flows from God. It flows from God. From His heart to us, life flows from God. Close from God. You fill our hearts. You fill our hearts with love and faith. You fight for us. You make us brave. You are God. You are God. You walk with us. You lead us on. Faith, open and love wakes up with dawn. You are God. You are God, you're the joy of man's desire, you are Father.